Yo, and welcome to another banging episode of Scripted with me, Daisy Lewis, hosted by Paradox House. And also in this episode is the incredible Oscar Garlanded, Rebecca Lemkovich. Rebecca was the first female playwright on the Olivia stage at the National Theatre and has written none other than one of my favourite films, Ida. Well, she co-wrote it with Pavel Pavlovsky, but it's still hers, and here she is. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Scripted, (laughs) with me, Daisy Lewis, and I am literally glowing with joy. Uh, On the other end of the conversation will be probably one of my favorite people in the world um and one of the writers that I respect and admire most um Rebecca Lenkovich. Hello Thank Rebecca. You, Daisy I'm very happy to be here with you. <laughs> we met when we were children basically or you were almost a child. Definitely. I, I think I still am. I... Yeah, well I hope we still are I think we're yeah. doomed if we haven't got something of the child in us. Yeah yeah but yeah we met when yeah, back in the days of National Youth Theatre, when mm. you wrote a play. Yeah, you 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 were National Youth Theatre. I was considerably older, and uh, I wrote a play, Blue Moon Over Poplar, and you were incredible in it, as were all the cast. And um, yeah, it was a wonderful time. Wonderful yeah. Paul Roseby and Soho Theatre. I mean, it was exciting, and it was very much just about what theatre should be, wasn't it? You know, you write a play, you rehearse it, you do it. You know, there's no sort of, well, I didn't sense any politics involved. It was just, you know, let's let's do this right now. You know? Yeah, definitely. And it was so passionate. I mean, the cast was so brilliant. You know, I think I could watch it tomorrow and think that was brilliant. You know, in terms of the acting and you know directing, yeah. it was wonderful. And that was our introduction. It and was our then I saw you be incredibly athletic in that um, play at the Young Pit. And I was okay. thinking, oh, Daisy can do backflips and front flips. Okay, we are like, not, this is not, this is not happening. You are literally like, this is, I am interviewing you. I know, but that was, that was not... the next time I saw you. So anyway, that was that. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I may or may not have done backflips in the past. You do, <laughs> <Anyone? laughs> but um, no. So I, yeah, I'm just so I'm so glad that that managed to, to to pin you down and to get you on here because there's so many questions. I mean, selfishly, this podcast is basically for me. It's the podcast that I wanted that I couldn't find mm-hmm. to ask writers the questions that uh, I'm struggling with. Yeah, good. So you started life as an actress. Yeah, I did. And then, and then became a writer. Mm-hmm. I was writing a bit while I was acting and I loved acting, really loved it. And a lot of my friends today are from those days, you know, where we acted together, um, really wonderful actress friends. Um, but I was writing too. And the acting was either great parts in Fringe or, you know, six lines at the National or, you know, so it was kind of, and a lot of temping. And so when yeah. the writing got busier, I kind of quite, I think quite foolishly sort of said, right, that's enough of acting. You know, I'm a writer now, you know, because I was so um, incredibly grateful to be sort of welcomed and to be, you know, kind of respected, I think, because acting was such hard work, you know, a lot of rejection. Um, 
but I wish I'd stayed at least with a toe in acting because I do think that the community of it was lovely. Um, but I, you know, it would terrify so, me. Now. So that's interesting. The community of acting. Mm. How do you find that compared to the community of writing? Is there well, a community uh, of writing? Not so much at all. You know, I mean, when I think back to acting, you know, I think of sort of, you know, going arm in arm with a friend through kind of dressing room corridors and talking and the laughter, you know, I mean, acting is incredibly hard work and I respect actors hugely, but there is also inevitably fun, you know, and I, and, I, and although writing is wonderful and it's, you know, there's an absolute purity in sitting down and, you know, writing stuff, just that human interaction, you know, it's, yeah. it's not so much. And of course there is interaction, you know, in terms of note sessions or being here or being there, but it always feels a bit loaded. You know, it's never just all of us in it together. You know? There's not a freedom. And that, okay, that's really interesting because that brings me on to my next question. Writing is fundamentally quite a lonely process, but mm. we don't live to write. Do you see what I mean? Like the comp, how do you, so, so when you're, finding stories mm. when you're looking for inspiration or not even looking for it just putting yourself in the right place for it yeah to what extent either in the past or today has your life or the way you live your life or the people you spend time with informed the work well I think it informed it hugely early on because yeah. at that time most of my I, I started off just writing plays and it was very much I wouldn't say autobiographical, but the best parts of the play were probably, you know, the most painful things that had happened to me, you know, voiced and coached in some other way, you know, so truths about yeah. myself, very lightly disguised, were probably, you know, the best scene in a particular play or something, you know, because I do think yeah. that really, when you face why you're writing in a way, you know, what what's making your writing um, happen, then you know, you'll see what you're writing. You know, it's kind of, I suppose I wrote to partly, I think initially I was writing to, to kind of exercise demons and to impress and to see if I could do it. You know, there were lots of things about it. It wasn't kind of, yeah. I, I didn't feel, and I came into writing late. I mean, I wrote a play when I was like 22, but just sort of like as an exorcism of depression really. And then I was writing more seriously kind of from age 30 onwards you know so it was initially kind of unscrambling my soul in many ways you know but coming out yeah. through that it was about relationships it was dysfunctional love it was this and that and then the last couple of decades it's been more about other people's stories and I think that I was attracted to resurrecting people in a way you know resurrecting someone who was forgotten or you know, be them, whether they were real or fictitious. I, I, I'm, I've been doing more real people for the last couple of decades. And I suppose that's partly because people have asked me, you know, oh, do you want to do this? Yeah. Do you want to do that? But partly also you read about someone and you kind of fall in love with them and it feels important, you know, to bring them into the world. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what type of stories so I love that I love that idea of the journey that it starts off basically as quite a selfish pursuit 
I don't know about selfish. You know, it's almost yeah. like when you said, you know, this podcast for you is, you know, I don't, I don't know about this word selfish. I mean, it's... Um, well, maybe I, not I, selfish isn't the right word. Maybe I don't even comes... mean selfish is the wrong word. It's a good word. And, you know, narcissism, you know, they're all in the same sort of territory. But I think it's more just sort of a need to express, you know, so and, yeah. and, and it's coming out of yourself, you know, and yeah. there isn't room in a way. I think as you there isn't room for other people, you know, it's just coming out and out and out. Yeah. yeah. The need to express. Yeah, the need to be a sort of conduit in some ways, but you're so kind of working out yourself that that's the work at that time. And then for me, that has shifted a bit. And also my life at the moment, people just wouldn't want to know about my life. You know, it's not dramatic, you know, it's very uh, domestic. But, but again, so again, that's another interesting point. Like this nature of, so my, my dog seems to be bringing me some sort of shoe. Good. Thank we need you. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this this kind of this idea, as I feel like this year as well, like with so much has happened mm. and so much of it has been undramatic. Mm. Definitely for me, mm. you know, COVID, all of these things, and thank God it's been, I'm going to touch with, has been undramatic for me mm. because COVID hasn't touched my life, but I have been watching the world and the drama has been so internal as mm. opposed to, to external. So in terms of like the stories that you're telling at the moment, mm. I know that you say it's undramatic, like the, the life that you're living, a domestic life. Mm. But I think that that, that's, that's interesting. Like, why is it undramatic? The feelings and the thoughts that you have as someone trapped in a house mm. is still very real. Oh, absolutely. It is. It is. And, you know, I felt more profoundly about things probably in the last couple of years than I've felt for a long time, you know. Um, yeah. But I suppose the externals, you know, I have yeah. a child, we go to the park, we do this, we do that. You know, it's kind of... But I mean, you know, like um, during lockdown, I, I had therapy properly for the first time, you know, and, and yeah. that in its way, you know, again, it's dramatic and undramatic. You know, some days I just sort of come out of it thinking, what was that about? You know, just sort of, you know, taught, I mean, it's this idea, like you, this word selfish is, is interesting, isn't it? You know, because I suppose I was brought up, you know, don't bleat. You've got two arms, you've got two legs, get on with it. You know, and I always thought that any sort of, exploration into self was a bit indulgent a bit you know um me 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 but actually you know I think anything we do so much about our bodies you know in terms of eating well or exercising but we kind of leave yeah. our poor brains to kind of you know get on with the last in my case 50 years you know which is a lot of years of kind of coding decoding you know all of that and and yeah. I'm just expecting it to sort of operate well you know so um I kind of I felt no, I really need to try and untangle things a bit. Um, but so, but you I'm do not... that with your work. Like some of your work has been really, really in a set, like the research you did for the night season, mm -hmm. for example. And for people who don't know about that play, if you could just talk a little bit about, I mean, that process really. Um, well, the night season, I think, was sort of one of my purest plays in a way. I kind of, I just wanted to write about three sisters living in Ireland. The father was a lightly disguised version of my own father. And it was about family. It was about relationships. 
and I loved Yeats's work and you know they kind of went together so you know that 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 was kind of like just an explosion of myself in a way I was very in love I was rejected and I and I I kind of ran away from this being rejected and thought I'm going to rewrite that play and I'm going to write it so well you know it was kind of like an act of revenge yeah. you know it was like the anger of like who, who the hell does he think he is you know this actor and I was kind of, <laughs> he'll regret this he'll regret this and um you know so the, it was kind of like the pen as the sword in quite a kind of childish way really um but which actually made a really beautiful play um and opened up a writing career for me so I was very lucky well, I don't, I, I mean, yes, I think you probably were lucky, but I also think that you happen to be wildly talented. Um, and then, sorry. Again. No, it was, it was a good play. I'm not, you know, but I, I have had quite a lot of nice synergy too, you know, like I was acting yeah. national. So I, I had, um, you know, I, I could send plays to directors at the national um, without looking like a stalker. And by the way, I, I sent that play to everyone, everyone in London, every you producer. You did that? You actually sent it to people? Sent it to everyone. I was I was front of house at the National Film Theatre, you know, just at reception. And I used the post room like as if I owned it. You know, I was just photocopying, 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 brown envelopes, brown envelopes, you know. And I, and I would go and post or sometimes cycle around posting this play everywhere. And nobody would have it, including the National's Literary Department of the time, you know. So then a director at the National said, I really like this play, uh, you know, because I, I sent it to him and he took six months to respond. Beautiful Howard Davies. And he said, what's happening with this play? And I said, um, well, nothing. I said, but thank you for reading it. And he said, well, you know, what about the National? I said, well, oh, that'd be wonderful. But, you know, the Literary Department has already said no. And he was like, hmm, OK. You know, so so my point being is when you write something, don't just think in the literal corridor, you know, of like give it to the literary yeah. part, dude. You know, give it to people who you trust, you know, who you think will connect with your work. And it, it was an act of courage to send it to Howard because I was yeah, like for sure it is. A, an actress who'd had, you know, one or two lines in his plays, you know, but I, I just sort of said, oh, would you, you know, would you possibly read this? And I'd be very happy to have your opinion. And so Howard basically you know, ushered me into the National Theatre, you know, which was incredible. But if I hadn't had that act of faith, you know, and if I hadn't yeah. built that relationship with him where he didn't think, oh, I'm not reading this, I haven't got time, I don't know this person, you know. But I would say, you know, don't always go down the direct lines, you know, think about the people, you know, a team, think about who you can attach to your writing and think outside of straight lines, because else that play would never have gone on and I probably would have just meandered, you know. That's that's inspiring, brave, um, and somewhat terrifying. Um, well, just it's just about following your instinct, really. You yeah. know, because then my second play, the National, they commissioned one, and I did her Naked Skin, which was you know about the suffragettes. That was your second play, <laughs> oh God. No, it was the fourth play I'd written. It was the okay. I'd had one at Soho, Shoreditch Madonna, and I'd. Uh, I had remember that Edinburgh. one with yeah. Francesca Annis. Exactly, and Lee Lawson, and um, and so her Naked Skin was my fourth play, but it was the second at the National, and 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 that was when I switched from sort of doing about my own life and more into kind of other people's lives, you know. But I mean, it was still about my kind of dysfunctional love life in some ways, you know. I was only sort of late 30s at that time 
you know, so the woman Celia, and it was really a, a, a bloke that I fancied who was keeping me very at shoulders or arm's length and was rejecting me and, you know, things like this. I mean, I think you can't help but put yourself into put your yourself, own. yourself, yeah. 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 And that That's the plays. But what I, is it, is it a similar process with your screenwriting? The screenwriting has been different because um, from the beginning I was asked to do things rather than generate my own work. Um, So I feel like it's absolutely my own work, but it's not that I've gone to people saying, do you want to do this film? Do you want to do that film? You know, it's been more people saying, do you want to adapt this? Or, um, But I mean, something like Ida that I co-wrote with Pavel Pavlikovsky, that was all very organic. And again, you know, wouldn't have happened unless I'd gone to a party where I was feeling very depressed and I met and I was feeling outlandishly single and kind of. Um, I have no idea what those feelings yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, the whole of my 30s was pretty sort of volatile and depressed and, you know. <laughs> and, and I met him and he was the only person at the party who wasn't in a couple. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know, because everyone was sort of in pearls and black dresses and showing off their husband. <laughs> And, and I just had a lovely depressed conversation with him and, and he told me about the script he was depressed about. And I said, oh, I'll read your script that's depressing you. And he said, oh, I'll come and see the play that's depressing you. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, so, and, and for months we just sort of emailed each other about this script. And then he said, oh, why didn't you write it with me? You know, so it was a very unusual process. And we made, wrote that script Um you know sort of over a year and a half just in cafe how physically did you do that how physically I love it so so it's interesting I write alongside amazing people Mm. um and and have have found that you know there goes the dog again Reggie Sorry about that. It's oh, like sorry. the most unprofessional podcast in the world. I think it's um, <laughs> um, But yeah, writing, that, it, that thing of co-writing, like it's so interesting. People say, oh, I've got a writing partner. And it's a bit like when people say, oh, um, you know, oh, oh, yeah, me and my husband. And I'm like, how does that marriage work? Like, how does that, how did your partnership work? Yeah. I don't think I could necessarily have a writing partner, but these were every co-writing I've done has been a co-writer who's the director. So there's ah. been a slightly different slant, you know, where I know yeah. what they want and how they want to do it. And they know what they want, but they need a writer to either bounce ideas off or to write with. So Pavel already had a script, but he didn't like it. So we just kind of exploded that script and kind of, started again in many ways you know so yeah so that was in in that way and I learned a lot from him in terms of you know writing for film and um we had a very good a good way of working together and I and I've had a good way of working apart from one filmmaker who I worked with and I asked for my name to be taken off the film because I just thought he murdered what we did and he did take my name off very happily and just sort of um, kept it for himself. You know, apart from that one experience, I've had good co-writing relationships. Um, but and now I'm writing on my own for film. And that's, I mean, the latest thing I adapted, she said about the two New York Times journalists who outed Weinstein, you know, so. Yeah. 
that was wonderful to adapt alone, you know, and to write alone. It was nice. I mean, the producers were very involved and brilliant. Dee Dee Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner were very there on script. Um, and, and so were all the journalists who it was based on, you know, so there was a lot of input. But um, yeah. it was my own shaping and writing and rhythm. And that was yeah. Nice. That's that it it is it is there's I mean people when people say you know oh, I'm a writer and you're like this is so fascinating there's so many ways of of writing it and that growth I think it's probably a very British tradition maybe that we move from plays into into or the stage you yeah. know, into film yeah. um, and 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 I think that that sort of sometimes reflects in in the way that our our country's output like our films mm. um you know their structure the way that they are quite collaborative in a lot of senses mm. but but I wonder like you know in terms of television would you ever be interested in in writing for television or I've not had much luck in telly um I had a really brutal sacking from something I was developing, you know, and there was no warning. I was just sort of sacked after three years. So that was hard. But why? Uh, there wasn't a reason, really. You know, I sort of... Yeah, this always happens, doesn't it? And you're like... I, I, I mean, there was a reason, but nobody gave me the reason, you know, but there was right. certainly not much lead up to it. You know, the last meeting I had, the director was going, oh, this is genius, da-da-da, you know, and then the producer kind of rang my agent and said, you know, would you ask Rebecca if she would stand down? It was all very sort of, you know, big brotherish. Uh, oh. So it was horrible. But I mean, I suppose I should have seen the signs, but I wasn't very up on telly. Like I was saying no to some of the producer's notes because I didn't think they were good notes, you know? So I think, you know, if you, if you say no, you know, then you're in danger, you know? And I kind of knew I was, but I didn't think I was in that much danger because I thought the director really rated me and you know it had been on and off a three-year process you know so that was very hard it took a long time to get over that but it was also a brilliant lesson because I'd never felt a hundred percent myself because there was so much power or you know seemingly power you know structures flying around and I kind of and this was you know not that long ago just a few years ago and um I kind of thought that'll never happen again, you know, a bit like, you know, Scarlet O'Hara, you know, I'll never be hungry yeah. again. It was kind of like, I'm never going to have power play around me again. And, and I haven't, and that's been such a relief. And I'm only sort of regret that it took me a while to realize how ridiculous that all was, you know? So now very early on, if I'm having a zoom with someone and I just think actually, usually he, you know, is a bit of a, power monger I just stay away from the project you know because I yeah. can't bear it you know it's I mean for a long time you know I had bits and pieces with sort of you know mainly men where you know it felt a bit like there was a power imbalance or something but I always kind of complimented myself on being able to handle it I thought I'm good with this you know I'm trained up for this because my dad was quite tricky and um, you're literally speaking my language you're like it's like that moment when you're like and you're like that kind of martyrish pleasure that yeah, you sometimes get of being like I can do this there's lots of people who couldn't do this I could do this and then I think after that you know and a couple of times I thought well I don't need to do this anymore you know uh, and then when that happened which was explosive and and 
very damaging I sort of thought fuck this you know I just don't yeah. I don't need to be good at pleasing people I don't need to be good at bending or adapting and that was very freeing you know because you know there's nothing worse than not feeling yourself is there it's exhausting yeah. and there are a lot of hierarchies in film and it's hard and telly you know I mean telly's meant to be great for the writer but it hasn't been great for me so far but I'm not averse to television I think it's a fantastic form you know I was addicted to it as a kid and you know I'm sure Dennis Potter and the classic serials are part of what made me a writer you know I just loved yeah. watching those things so I'm not anti-telly at all it's just I've myself have had kind of um, not great experience with it but film has well, been good to me yeah it's so interesting because I think that you know what 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 we were talking about before is that like for for things to be good you mentioned that the bits of the plays that you found most affecting were the things that were closest to you emotionally mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. and I I genuinely believe that like I th I think that as as a as an as an audience we are the audience as well mm -hmm. like as people you know our bullshitometers are so well tuned mm -hmm. you know and there's so much content out there that when you hit truth when you feel truth when you mm -hmm. hear truth when you see truth you know it yeah now getting that truth onto the page is a painful and difficult process mm. but and here's the thing you've got to be difficult enough mm. to be able to put that on the page but not you know but then you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't a little bit because then you become you're, they're like oh we really want you to have a voice mm. and you're like okay so I'm going to put my heart and soul into this and then they're going to treat it as if it wasn't mm. and then condemn you for being difficult and you're like yeah but we all know that to get to the juicy bit is going to be painful and yeah it's very hard it's very hard and I suppose it all comes down to working with the right people you know people yeah. who are you know midwives yeah and intelligent emotionally intelligent yeah. people I mean producers fall into different camps don't they some people just enjoy yeah. the money and the power and some people enjoy the making of something you know and and are brilliant at it and you have to find those producers who and I've you know encountered quite a few and I have deep respect for them um and I've encountered the other kind who you know it's just like you're back at school you know and um you know it's um kind of just hierarchies you know so it's really finding the right people and I suppose that's hard in itself you know making the work by yourself is hard and then finding yeah. the right team is hard and you know it's it's all I mean you know it's not coal mining but it's um it has its difficulties and I'd say most of the difficulties you know there is difficulty in the writing and making that good but around that there is then you know sending that out into the world is the next difficulty you know so yeah it's, there's you know there's the um, the more um I wouldn't say easier but the aspect of sitting down and actually writing it at least nobody's stopping your pen or you know yeah you know, sure. your shoulders as you're trying to type you know or you know slapping you you know what I mean like you're, yeah. you're able to get on with what you're doing which is the process of writing but then the process As opposed to the committee side of it and the political yeah. side of it, yeah. in which case, you know, with with TV, there is a, a certain amount. Yeah. What I've are you watching at the moment? What are you enjoying? Watching. Um, I I 
the only I I, I watch films on movie because there's always something there, something strange. Yeah. A razor head came up the other day on oh, my God. like little is terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrifying but there's, there's always something to be found there I've I've not been feeling that robust lately so I've been trying to watch anything that's kind of um I tell you what I saw one film which I thought was one of the most incredible films of the past you know decades was a film called Invisible Life by Karim Ainous and it's about sisters and it's the most beautiful film the kind of film where, I mean, everyone has their own film, but I watched it and I just thought, God, I, I feel it's, you know, just kind of like a reflection of what I needed to see and feel at this moment in time. And I'm working with Kareem and he's a wonderful director. Um, beautiful, beautiful. And um, and then I, I was so fascinated by the film and I looked into how they made it and, and I asked him and he said, oh, you know, we rehearsed for ages. We just rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed before filming it. And it really shows because the scenes between sisters, they're so sort of short and dynamic, but the relationship is so intense, you know, and, yeah. and so things about film that puzzle me are why, you know, they say, oh, there's no money for rehearsal time when actually the payoff of having good rehearsal is so incredible, you know. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that film blew me away. So I've been watching his films very happily. And um, I haven't I haven't done the sort of binge box sets because I've just been, you know, too busy, really. Um, yeah. And also when I'm writing, I find I don't watch that much in some ways. If I'm writing a play, I probably don't watch new plays very much just because I feel like I'm kind of yeah. trying to, books. you know. Books. Uh, I read Rose McGowan's Brave. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was fantastic. Um, and she's, I, I, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's, she is. Um, yeah. yeah. My first, my first commercial actually that I directed, she was in. Oh, and, amazing. And, um, and yeah, just, but a, a fragile person, you know, yeah. like beautifully vulnerable. Yeah. Well, you know, she's just, I mean, it's an amazing story, Brave, you know, and beautifully written. And then I watched her short film that she made, Dawn, which was fantastic, which you can see on Vimeo. It's brilliant. So, you know, I kind of hop and skip. I, I would like to have a year where I just had no commitments and I could just watch things and walk and swim and, you know, just, but, but it just seems like time is very, um, yeah, time is the currency at the moment, you know. So if I watch something, it's, it's lovely, but it's not um, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about time, I mean, I want, we will continue this conversation, but just not <laughs> on the podcast. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah. Thank you. You know, God, I mean, yeah. Thank you. I mean, thank you for, for today, but also thank you for, um, for, you know, I mean, I was what, like, 18 with Zowie Ashton like you're the type of person who comes to National Youth Theatre and writes plays for us and then remains in contact with people well it's my you know absolute privilege and honor and fun to stay in touch with you Daisy. yeah well we see you're, you see me growing up you're amazing and um you know I think anything that uh helps people to write is brilliant because I do think that um we're all very good at avoidance you know and mm every writer is different you know so 
you know, I listened to one of your podcasts and it was brilliant, but it was about how structured this person's writing time was, you know, and I was like, mm. that's nothing like mine, you know, nothing like yeah. my life, you know, so I, I think if there's any lesson to be taken, it's just like everyone is so completely different and there is no right or wrong. But yeah. um, I think if you're feeling vaguely like yourself, that's a good sign, you know. Ah, that's a great quote. That is a great quote. I'm going to use that. And and on that note, yeah, that that has um uh, well, you made my day. Um, <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Thank you, dear oh. Rebecca Lenkovich, for being a total friggin' legend and my thank friend. You. Well, thank you, my friend, and you keep writing, writing, writing. I I will. I will. Lots oh. and lots of love. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, darling. Whew, that was a goodie. Thank you for listening, for joining me, for supporting this little podcast, which is done for zero money and Laura, Laura love. Um, could you share the love, please, please, for me, and let everyone know so that they too can enjoy it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.